शक्ति The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And today we have a a great guest on our program. Her name is Roberta Cole. She has spent her entire career as a communications professional. She began as a film publicist at United Arts Corporation and, and later became a documentary producer at RKO Television. She went on to write and produce on-air promos for public radio and to host and produce programs for WNBC and WYNI Radio, as well as WNYC Radio, the flagship station of NPR, National Public Radio. Roberta was responsible for the award-winning film, Healthline, on that station. Her programs on the job and New York Works on the NBC stations covered career profiles and workplace issues and featured prominent leaders from a variety of fields. She's written several books. And the one she's talking about today is Reading My Mind, a collection of essays. And she also holds a master's degree in communication arts and was an adjunct professor at New York University for nearly 20 years. Welcome, Roberta. Well, thank you, Patricia. It's so good to be back with you. Yes, yes. Um, Now, I know you wrote a book called Caregiving from the Heart. I did. that is, and but this book is more your own essays. Explain why you wrote this book. Well, life flies by, and I did you ever get that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to stop and take a pause and kind of make sense of things. You know, we all race through our days, but I felt it was important to get off the merry-go-round for just a few moments and, and kind of document what was happening. Right. And so that's what you did. Um, You talk about really the value of documenting your experience, not just for you, but for other people. Absolutely. And you also suggest that people do that. I think documenting our experience helps us to kind of put things in perspective and learn from our past. It also provides a kind of life barometer, if you know what I mean. It makes us more amenable to change and, 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 uh, it just kind of makes us think. And often also our observations. Have you ever been in a situation where you observe something going on around you and you kind of feel, is anyone home? Does this resonate for anyone else? So I think that's a valuable thing to do. It's not unlike journaling, which is certainly therapeutic for so many of us. Don't you think so? 
Yeah, I do. I think writing is very important. I've written a couple of books, and I think, as you said, journaling. and But I think also more so being in touch with those feelings. You know, It's one thing to write them down. It's another thing to really internalize them so that you feel them, so that whatever words you're writing, they really mean something. They're not just words. They become real. It's it's so true, and often uh, you know again experience piles on experience, and we don't take that pause. We just don't stop to think about what it is we're feeling and what it is we're experiencing, and perhaps what it is that we would like to change. So uh, it's it's a valuable tool. And often, uh, you know, we just for whatever reason feel that unless we're going to write something and publish it, we don't do it. Yes, and yes. And so it's really the power of communication is very strong. And very strong. <laughs> easier now is the technology because now you can blog, now you can journal, you can Facebook. Um, it's, it's easier than it was before, and you can self-publish easily too. It's easier than it was before. I have a piece in the book called Nobody Sends Letters Anymore. And uh, certainly, we, we all experience that. You know, we used to get this crisp little in the mail, and we would open it up and kind of relish what was inside. And it had a feeling of being so personal, personally tailored to us. And, and I think that the difference is that when you write a letter, it's reflective. When you push that send button, it's reflexive. Not that there's anything wrong with email and tweeting and and uh, messaging and anything else. Certainly, it has a place. But when we're writing someone a condolence note or some great statement of joy and we're looking for a different level of connection, I don't know about you, but I'm disappointed when it comes in the form of an email. Yes. It's, well, it's just... I happen to like email, but <laughs> it's very easy for me. So, um, and, and it's something that just I gravitate toward. But I see what you mean. I think that there is something about the handwriting, the personal note that was chosen for you. You know, I, I really see that. It's it's nice to have both, and and the same thing with uh, cell phone conversations. Cell phone is a wonderful thing. Can you imagine before we had cell phones? But now, can you believe that analysts actually treat people for addiction to email, to computers? It's incredible. When I heard that, I couldn't believe it. Mm. Addiction. I, they just can't put this stuff down. You go out to lunch with someone and you see, or you see people in a restaurant and two people are talking to somebody else. So you wonder, why didn't they go to lunch with that person? Yeah, well, it, it uh, unfortunately, it speaks to that high-tech world again, which gets us away from the high-touch, that it's also important to have that human contact, as you've said. That's a great way of putting it, the high-tech and the high-touch. And that's the difference. It's not to say that there's any rule where you do one and you don't do the other, but I think it's just using judgment in different situations. Talk about, Roberta, you write about this. Talk about the value of nostalgia. What nostalgia is and what's the value of it? I mean, nostalgia is great. Sometimes it makes people very sad. And it, it does, but it's also very real. And I think there are situations where we have to go through something to come out the other end 
there's a section in the book called East Meets West. Now, five years ago, I relocated from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was a huge move. And people say, well, do you miss it? I don't miss New York in the sense that it's a city that has more riches or more things or more theater. I live just outside San Francisco now, but I miss it because it was my story. And stories have a way of just taking you along with them. They write themselves, really. And nostalgia is when, you know, you, you, you kind of sit back and you think about it, and we, we sort of put a pejorative connotation on it. Like you just said, it makes us sad. But it's important. It's, again, getting in touch with what's real and what's valuable in our lives, and it helps us go forward. It's important to, to think in terms of nostalgia because it helps us go forward. It helps us put in perspective what we're experiencing in the present. Well, and, I think and, and not to be afraid of it, really. It's, it's very rich. Well, it also helps us make future choices. Because if there's something in the past that you're nostalgic about that you once had that you'd love to have again, that can help propel you to choices that were similar to what you had before. Absolutely. And we don't, I, I think we don't allow ourselves enough of that. Often when people feel those, those feelings rise, you know, you kind of want to push them back down again. Because it's hard, but it's very real. And it tells us it's kind of like a dream. It tells us what we need to know sometimes. Another thing you talk about in the book, it comes up for a lot of us who are baby boomers, is midlife reinvention and how we can feel more comfortable uprooting ourselves and making changes and embracing things that life, you know, that lives are calling to us. In the East Meets West section, I have a quote from Joseph Campbell. We all know who he is. And he says, we must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned so as to have the one life that is waiting for us. And that is so true. Again, we get stuck so much of the time. I know I did. And we're fearful. But really, there's nothing to be fearful about. Uh, we can always move in a different direction if it doesn't work out. But often we just get little messages Hasn't that happened to you? We get messages about something that we feel we would like to try or we feel we would like to change, and somehow we're reluctant to do it. I say if you get enough of those messages, go with it and allow yourself the opportunity to experience something different, even if it feels just just weird. Uh, so many of us... I think a lot of that is based on past, you know, what we've seen in the past or what our role models were. And so when we break away from that, it is different and it is scary because it's not necessarily what we've seen. What we know uh, is not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but sometimes it's, it's more of a safe thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're desperately afraid of doing something that we don't know. You know, that's, that's uh, territory that we're not familiar with. And it is scary. You know, I have to tell you something. This is coming to mind, and I'd love to get your comments. I was with someone yesterday who is a consultant, and uh, she actually does a lot of work with feng shui and with energy. And we were talking, and she said, you know, she says, when I come back in another life, she says, I'm coming back as the person who works nine to five, plays marjan, gets my hair done and my nails done. (laughs) You know, just simple. She says, that's home. And, you know, when you think about it, and I I looked at her and I said, yeah, those of us who are creative and we're making a difference and we're doing these unique things, I mean, that's all well and good. 
But it is not an easy road, Roberta. But why do we often have this disconnect between what messages we're getting and what we're actually living? Hmm. You know, the little little signs. For example, I found I was living a, a very rich life. I was a native New Yorker, certainly in one of the most urban, uh, hardcore, I call it hardcore urban cities in the world, Mm. And I was always longing to get outside, to take a hike, and I would be driving miles and miles to do it. Because whatever you want to say about New York, you know, it's not a place where people go to be outside. Mm. And so I would plan all my vacations to go hiking, to be outdoors. It took me a heck of a long time to get the message that I just wanted to shift the balance, really, and have more of that and visit the other rather than to have more of the other and visit the outdoors. So we have to listen to those messages we get and allow ourselves an opportunity to go forward in a different direction, to just try something new, and it's a perfect time in life to do it. it? Another thing you write about, which goes along with what you just said, is the power of nature and how the power of nature in our lives is so important for our mental and physical well-being. It's extraordinary. It really is. You know, there's actually been studies on this, a University of Michigan study, uh, where people learn more effectively. They actually learn more effectively after a walk outdoors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about it. It fine-tunes our attention. It brings back the focus, aside from the fact that it's just a lovely way to spend time. It's valuable, and it's healthy. There's actually something called nature deficit disorder. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I guess there's a name for everything, but it actually exists where people are are kind of deprived of that, that vitality and that vibrancy and that freshness that you get from just spending time outdoors. Mm. Yeah, your essays are wonderful, and you talk about nature. You talk about family and friendships and aging and travel and technology. But I want to cover it, doesn't it? <laughs> I want to read something, one of your very short ones here on travel, and it's Capri Close to Home. And I'll just paraphrase. You say, oh, whether, it's images of vacation, yeah. whether it's images of vacationing Rome emperors or just the lure of escape, Italy's Isle of Capri is everyone's fantasy. Capri, with its jagged cliffs swooping into eternity, sits above the Bay of Naples. But another Capri can be found a short distance from San Francisco in Belvedere overlooking the bay. The bay. This paradise is known as Corinthian Island. Although Corinthian is not really an island, it's more like a hill. It has no hotels or amusements, only residences dotting the road. It is a sublime spot to grab a few stolen moments. This is the stuff of poets and princes, a flowered hillside rising toward heaven, persimmon palaces cast in shadows of the late afternoon gold, yachts punctuating turquoise blue waters. Just on the trip hanging over the bay, is a bench welcoming weary visitors. Sometimes we don't have to look very far for enchantment. Beautiful. Nobody says it like you do, Patricia. And then I have one following that says Capri far from home, and that's, of course, the other Capri, which is in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, But I think, you know, the way you write and the way you describe the colors, your descriptors, your verbs, I mean, it's, it's really inviting and enticing and very rich. Well, thank you. But, you know, so many of us have that ability, too, and we just don't know it. 
we write about something that has personal meaning, and and how can we go wrong? Just just recording what we are experiencing and what we feel strongly about. I have another piece in the book about Big Sur, which is one of my very favorite places. And just the notion that going to a place that has special meaning, it doesn't have to be Big Sur, you know, it can be Paris, it can be Milwaukee, it can be anywhere, that just has special meaning for you in your life. And when you connect to a place like that, uh, you, you, don't, you need very little else at that moment. It's so rich for us. Mm. Share with us uh, one of your favorite, just paraphrase for us, one of your favorite stories in the book. Oh, gee, that's a tough one. Uh, I guess it would be, um, well, I guess it would be the Big Sur essay. It's called A Place of the Heart, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read you a little uh, portion of it. It says, the sheer expansiveness of Big Sur is affirming, even when a stream of smoky, unrelenting fog obscures an otherwise perfect summer afternoon, I forgive just as the California condors with their amazing wingspan float overhead effortlessly, joy envelops me with ease. All at once the great secret is out. In this land of so much, we need so little. Mm. And that really is the key thought. Mm. You know, just to think of it in terms of how many times do you go out for an afternoon, you have a very simple day, maybe you just take a walk, browse through some shops, or wander into a museum, and you come home and you might be telling a friend you had such a wonderful day. Doesn't, don't you find that happens? Yes. You think about it, and really, I mean, there was nothing thunder and drums about the day. It was just doing the simplest things and enjoying them. And writing about them is, is such a wonderful way to stay in touch with that. Yeah, the writing keeps it alive, doesn't it? It does. And also to write about our observations, that there's a commonality of experience that I think uh, in, to some degree all of us have. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, there, there's also a piece about restaurant behavior, about what goes on when we sit down at that table with the, the, the person going to the restaurant and the wait staff and how sometimes we just confuse signals and the flow of communication is a little bit off. And I call it reading the table, you know, coming up and, and, and looking at what's going on on the part of the people working in the restaurant and thinking, gee, why are these people here? Are they here to be seen? Are they here really for the food? Are they here to just have a, a, an intimate conversation? Haven't we all experienced the waiter coming over and saying multiple times, is everything all right? And you kind of feel like everything would be even more all right if you would leave us alone. So uh, just the the whole notion of the little everyday things that we experience and and how they resonate for us, and do they resonate for anyone else? And, And it's all about that sharing. And, you know, what I'm hearing more and more from people is what people really need is the connection, whether it's in business or whether it's in your personal life, that just feeling that connection with someone, feeling understood, feeling appreciated, feeling valued. I mean, that that's really what it is, isn't it? 
You know, when I, when I used to do my radio programs and I used to talk to people about work and their experiences on the job, and we're talking about celebrated names and, and, and people whose names you wouldn't recognize but did all kinds of interesting things, everyone from lion tamers to psychics, and they would all say the same thing, Patricia, that they wanted to be recognized. They wanted to feel that they had some role that was valuable in what was happening and that the most frustrating piece of it, far and away, was the idea that they had so much responsibility and very little authority and that they weren't necessarily getting that respect and that connection that you talk about. It's all about that. Not even about making more money, but about feeling connected and about feeling valued. Well, I think, I think the money part is part of that. I think that comes into it play. It hurt, but, but the discontent, many of them said, really stemmed from the idea that they weren't feeling valued. They weren't feeling as if they were connected. They just felt like they were showing up each day, doing a job, and going home. So, Roberta, we have a, a couple minutes left. What would you say is, is, what do you want readers to get from your book and listeners to get from the show? That experience for all of us is different. There are certainly some commonalities, as we've discussed this afternoon, this morning in my case, uh, but Whatever your experience is, it is rich for you. It's meaningful for you. Think about it. Take it seriously. Record it and use it. And when I say use it, I mean use it to call upon whatever it is you need and whatever it is you would like to happen in your life and and just feel comfortable doing that. I think it's a very rich and a very important thing for all of us to do. Absolutely. How can people find your book? Well, it's on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You probably could order it from most local bookstores. Uh, so it's available. And, and talk about your other book for a minute. Tell us well, a little bit about that and how people can find that as well. Yes, well, it's the same. It's available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, and it's called Caregiving from the Heart, Tales of Inspiration. I wrote this book with Ricky Entner, who is my co-author, and it's a collection of caregiver stories. Uh, caregiving is uh, so much around us in so many ways, and these are true stories, written uh, thoughts from caregivers who are family members, friends, friends of uh, um, uh, people, um, long-distance caregiving, care recipients. What does it feel like to be cared for? And they tell their stories, you know, not in any way that's romanticized. It's, uh, it's very real, and it certainly isn't pretty in a lot of ways. But, again, it's an opportunity to be there for someone at a time in, in their life when it's so much needed to have someone they can call upon. So, again, uh, there's a feeling of connection there. I, we, we call it a support system for your nightstand. So you mm-hmm. kind of just keep it handy and can look at the stories and feel that you're not alone. You're not the only one experiencing these things. And these are, these are stories from other people. These are stories from caregivers, family members, friends, partners, 
uh, all people in all kinds of caregiving situations, long-distance caregivers. They even have something called surrogate children who show up at your mother or father's home when you live far away and you can't be there, and perhaps there's some issue of dementia, and uh, it enables these people to feel some form of connection that we've been talking about, which is, uh, is so key. So uh, it's, a, it's a, hopefully a valuable tool. And uh, I know sometimes even in situations in my own family when we were uh, caregivers, I would look at some of the stories. You know, sometimes you're just at a, a place, at a, a funny story. I remember that someone told me about uh, going to visit his father and finding that his father wasn't driving very well and, and getting alarmed and thinking, gee, what am I going to do? So he tried to have a conversation with him, and his father was reluctant to give up the car keys and, you know, took it very personally, and it's, it's certainly a very difficult thing to do. So in a moment of desperation, he grabbed the car keys and he took off and went home. As he was walking into his door, he heard the phone ringing, and of course he knew it was his dad. And his father said, you know, I'm looking all over. I can't find my car keys. I, I can't imagine where they are. Maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be driving anymore because I'm finding I'm too forgetful. Mm. So, you know, it's, I'm not suggesting that you go and take your, your yes. parents' car keys, but it's an interesting thought about the kind of thing that people are experiencing. All right. So I want to tell folks that that is for your book. Those are stories. You just told a story from your book, Caregiving from the Heart, Tales of Inspiration. And today you've been talking about your book, Reading My Mind, a collection of essays. So it's been great to have you on the program, Roberta. I really appreciate it. Great and to be here. How- and thank you for your support. And how can people find you on uh, what is your website? Don't have a website up just yet. That will be coming shortly, but uh, they can certainly find the book again on Amazon or on barnesandnoble.com, and it probably is available through ordering at most local bookstores. All right. Thanks so much for being on the program, Roberta. And thank you, Patricia. All right. Hold on for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up Patricia Raskin Positive Living for this week. We'll be with you next week for an all-new program. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.